0: Welcome to episode 31 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 Greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The Countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And joining us once more this week is a gentleman that we had on originally to discuss an issue of Walt Simonson's Thor, so when the next issue of Walt Simonson's Thor came up, who else would we have on here but Professor Allen? Welcome back, Professor.
1: Glad to be here, Blaine. As always, it is Thorific. So That's... I meant it's ThorTastic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think Thor's really working for that, is it? <laughs> Thankfully, it does work in many other ways, as we discuss Thor number 337. Written, penciled, and inked by Walt Simonson. Colored by George Roussos. Lettered by Johnny e. Workman Jr. Edited by Mark Grunewald under Jim Shooter Editor in Chief. Cover date November 1983. Release date on or about August 2nd, 1983. And as we said, it's number 31 in this countdown.
1: And as I am contractually obligated to mention, a cover price of 60 cents. Ah. That is always an important part of my analysis of a comic book.
0: Okay. But the question (laughs) is, did you pay more or less than a quarter for your
1: copy? I paid less. A, a friendly listener sent me the Thor Visionaries paperback that has these 12 issues. So technically speaking, I paid zero. I feel bad about that.
0: Oh, that is a fantastic deal. That's <laughs> If you want to thank the listener by name, go right ahead because they deserve it.
1: I believe it may have been Joe Crawford of Iowa.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Joe, because that is a very nice <laughs> little touch.
1: There's a line I once heard from an old radio guy. and I think it applies to podcasting. So you go into podcasting for three reasons. To help your friends, to crush your enemies, and to get free stuff. And at least two of those three have worked out pretty well for us.
0: Okay. So those enemies are <laughs> nicely crushed? Shag
1: has been crushed. No, no, that not. <laughs> No enemies so far. Oh.
0: So far. All right. <laughs> okay. So we will be right back to discuss this issue in more detail after you hear this promo for one of Alan's shows. This is an
1: imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. ...and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra... ...of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. ...of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at Podcasts. At blogspot.com or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or short box Showcase.
0: And remember, we're not experts.
1: We're just family.
0: And we're back. So as we said, we are discussing Thor 337, which is a bit of a milestone in Thor continuity. It's also one of the few comics from the early 1980s that was permitted to mess around with the Marvel trade dress on the cover. I had not noticed that. Yeah, this is a cover image of oh, right, right, a character we will eventually learn is Beta Ray Bill swinging Thor's hammer and smashing the logo in the process.
1: Nowadays, we'd say that's meta. We would. <laughs> or fourth wall breaking or something. Yeah. yeah. But like he has the logo, the number, everything's been tossed off center, off kilter. That's a pretty impressive cover.
0: It is. I even like the fact that the actual logo of Thor in the upper left has been cracked and shattered, and Thor is getting pushed out of the way by Beta Ray Bill. (laughs) Very nice. Which is going to speak directly to some reader fears by the time this issue is done.
1: (laughs) It's amazing. Back in 30 years ago, we were worried that, you know, there might be a new Thor. And, of course, now there is a book featuring all of the Thors Mm -hmm. in one place. (laughs) Everyone who was born that mantle.
0: Well, everyone that Marvel still has the rights to use. Yeah, minor technicality. Yeah, yeah. so we're not going to see Kal-El on that one, <laughs> even though he has wielded the hammer. That's right. Okay, so, quick synopsis. This starts off with something out in the far reaches of the galaxy exploding and sweeping through space. Cut from there back to Earth, where Don Blake is going through Central Park, and he's going through one of those grasses greener moments, saying, you know... Even though I can become Thor and I inhabit, you know, his soul inhabits my body, I can do all this stuff, sometimes I envy the mere mortals. They're just, you know, don't have the same level of responsibilities I have. So it's kind of that with great power comes great responsibility and, you know, sometimes I wish I didn't have as much power and responsibility. Slight lament. And he's worried that he's being attacked by someone in his Donald Blake form when it's actually just some kids with bad aim accidentally smacking him with a frisbee. After which some men in suits round him up and throw him and his cane into a little sports car, driven by none other than Nicholas Joseph Fury Sr., a.k.a. the original White Nick Fury.
1: A.k.a. David Hasselhoff. Yeah, let's pretend that didn't happen.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> should, to be fair, I haven't seen it and would be interested to watch it at least once. I just haven't seen a legal copy at a price I have any interest in paying for it.
1: <laughs> I saw it on I don't know sci-fi channel at some point point. May have shown it here. And as bad as the movie is, I'm pretty sure it's worse edited and cut up for TV. Okay. Although maybe the insertion of commercials might may have actually helped the flow. It's
0: hard to say. Well, it wasn't made for TV movie in the first place. So, so that that actually may work then. Yeah. <laughs> in any event, this is where we find out that Nick Fury, who swears nobody else knows, but Nick Fury knows that Donald Blake and Thor are one and the same. Although he does say, you got my word, nobody else in or out of S.H.I.E.L.D. knows what I know. So it was one of those nice moments where it's like, it's my job, remember? I'm supposed to know stuff. Then we get a quick mission briefing by Jasper Sitwell, who, unlike the movie version, is not secretly an agent of HYDRA. (laughs) And then Thor heads out to stop something that appears to be consuming stars along the way. Spoiler, it's not the Phoenix. We get a brief interlude as Stiff is going a little bit stir-crazy and Baldur's getting a little bit depressed. Uh, We'll not say much more about that because it doesn't relate to this issue. Thor catches up with the spacecraft, which seems to be running with automated defenses to keep him out. The automated defenses include waking up the passenger, who attacks Thor, cut again to a hunt with Loki and Lorelai, and Lorelai wins the hunt with the Asgardians. And then, for pretty much the rest of the issue, we cut back to Thor. So the passenger has awakened, the slightly horse-faced and rather large passenger, and he and Thor are fighting toe-to-toe, and the fight is intense enough That Thor is disarmed. And Beta Ray Bill, as we will later learn as his name, is able to fight quite well, but he's able to keep Thor preoccupied long enough that he refers to his Donald Blake form. And Beta Ray Bill puts him down at once. He seems to think that he's a type of demon of some form or another. But in any event, the ship is damaged enough that it crash lands on Earth. When Beta Ray Bill looks for the hammer that Thor used, he just found a stick and accidentally strikes it against something. And it becomes Mjolnir, and this alien wields the power of Thor. Surprise! Yeah, Thor's adversary apparently is worthy, and powerful enough to use Mjolnir against S.H.I.E.L.D. So he is tearing through them, and then Odin comes and calls his son, but accidentally grabs Beta Ray Bill, back to Asgard, leaving Donald Blake behind to feel forsaken and abandoned. There's actually a lot going on in here. There is, and it's just to spoil some things, I, I... much like the first time we discussed an issue of Walt Simonson's Thor, I don't understand why the the voters pulled this particular issue out in isolation without including issues before and after.
1: Mm-hmm. Obviously, this one ends on a bit of a cliffhanger in terms of the wrong Thor showing up in Asgard, Donald Blake left behind here on Earth. And I don't know if it's one of this, these things. I have not read the issues beyond this in quite some time, though I am going to fix that shortly. So I don't know sort of if things wrap up in the next issue or the next issue or if this really is the start of a really long-form story, in which case it may have been a little more difficult to say, well, it starts here and it ends definitively at this spot, other than taking the whole run, which we discussed in that prior episode.
0: Yeah, and to just review my history with Walt Simonson's Thor, it hasn't changed since the, the first episode we recorded, I've read the issues that are in the first two Walt Simons and Visionaries, and then the issue we discussed last time, but not beyond that. It is on my to-do list once I'm through the reading for the rest of this podcast.
1: come on, this can't... I'm sorry, Blaine, this can't be that hard. It's just one issue at a time. I mean, every episode is just one issue, right?
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, we did 11 11, once. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've done the Clone Saga, I've done the Claremont New Mutants run, this is... uh...
1: So maybe in retrospect, we're glad they didn't put the Simons in a run as one option, as one
0: entire thing. Yeah, you know, it would have been on time the, on consuming, the countdown. but based on the two issues I've read, it would have been worth it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. But if I remember correctly, and I haven't read these the whole run in a sitting in a couple of years, there will be a definitive end to this piece of the story, but... The issues where one storyline comes to a close are also issues where other storylines are brought to the forefront. So there's True. always something else that needs to be picked up next time. Right. So that may be why. I mean, there wasn't a completely clean break at any point.
1: Right. When we had talked about prior episode issue issue 362, we said, well, you could interpret that as I think 360 through 362 had a nice little mini arc but then well you could also go back to what was about 354 and say it started there or it started here because all of the plot threads that came to fruition in that story had been laid at different parts you know different times in the past so it is hard to to pick a definitive start and end for a story other than this is the start of the run i actually had a, a harder time with that other issue plucking that one out and saying 362 on its own deserves it. Three thirty-seven, I think, deserves it simply because it is historical.
0: It is. This is the introduction of Beta Ray Bill.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the start of the run and the introduction of Bill.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is very much a a good starting place for an arc. You don't feel like you're missing yes, anything so. that predates this issue, right? But yeah, you're. All, when you get to the end of this issue, it's very clear that there's more story to come.
1: <laughs> now, you'd mentioned in your in your recap, you'd mentioned the. This idea of the Thor struggling, or Donald Lake struggling with power—that that classic power and responsibility—and it's not just conceptually; he actually uses those words in his inner monologue about power and responsibility. <laughs> so I don't know if the if he if he had hung out with Peter Parker and gotten that speech, or this is just something that Marvel characters automatically feel.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but it it definitely is a nice touch, and it's. It is great context. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, talking about the significance and the importance to the continuity, as we said, this does introduce Beta Ray Bill. And it's not just that Beta Ray Bill is a cool character. This is where the mantle of Thor is passed for the first time. When this issue ends, Donald Blake does not have Mjolnir, and Odin has recognized Beta Ray Bill as his son. We don't know how long that's going to stick if we just read this issue. But I can only imagine what it would have been like reading this as a monthly publication when it came out. Right,
1: because to, to some extent we've been living in the aftermath of this situation for 30 years now, where that mantle has passed on occasion to various people, including as basically as of the time of this recording, it is someone else in the main Thor title has been wielding, someone of a different gender than we're expect than we're uh, used to has been wielding. Mjolnir, and has been Thor, not she Thor or Lady Thor or anyone else Thor. Has been Thor, but at this point, it had been twenty, almost twenty-five years where that had never happened. So expectations and what you're used to, and what okay, this has happened before. That's not the case when you're picking this up. There's there's has not been a oh, I remember this has happened before. It's similar to mm-hmm. in the. Uh, I I I just think the creation of the character. Of Beta Ray Bill is just really impressive in sort of an an odd sort of way, because I think Beta Ray Bill is, he's a brilliant B list character. Mm. Look him up on, you know, on a, on a comic database. It's something like 200 appearances spread out over 30 years. You know, he's, he's not a regular part of the Marvel U, if, if, if you will. But my impression is that people really like him and a lot of people absolutely love him. And that's a real accomplishment for a character like this, who does seem to come and go. He's had about 10 or 12 issues, a couple of mini series, basically, of books where he's been the title character. But other than that, he has been a side character, a B lister. I mean that in the most positive way possible. And yet has garnered quite a lot of respect and affection from listeners, uh, from readers.
0: That he has. And. Just to follow up on an earlier point, marvel.wikia.com lists 157 appearances.
1: Mm, there you go. Yeah, the list I had probably had some reprints and doubles as, as to how I got closer to 200, but yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. this actually would as well. So
1: in yeah, over 30 years, that's just not. You know, for someone who, I think if you've heard of the character, you like him, tends to be my, my impression of people. Now, there mm-hmm. may, may be folks on the fringes of Marvel continuity who aren't familiar with him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's either a like I like that guy or a who yeah. exactly, exactly. But no, I yeah I've enjoyed the exposure I've had to Beta Ray Bill as well. And unless I'm misremembering, it's not only the first time the mantle was passed. I think this is the first time anyone other than Thor was able to lift Mjolnir mm-hmm. because of that worthiness enchantment. We know right. others have. Captain America has, and I swear that in Avengers Age of Ultron, he was able to. Right, we mm-hmm. see Mjolnir mm-hmm. twitching when he's trying it. I think. He left it far enough to know this is going to go all the way and then let go for the sake of Tony's ego.
1: And, and the vision had no concern for the ego.
0: No. (laughs) Yeah. This had to just be a watershed moment for Thor readers, Mm -hmm. which is something that from what I can tell is very common when you're reading the Walt Simonson Thor run. Mm -hmm. So even to this day, I mean, we've, Previously on this podcast, we discussed other issues of Walt Simonson's Thor. We've discussed Jason Aaron's Thor God of Thunder run. Mm-hmm. But they're, in terms of definitive Thor creators, you're hearing some people saying that, yeah, Jason Aaron's going to be one of them and he's got a good run, but it's also the current run. So right. you can't really judge it until it's over for a few years. Aside from that, Walt Simonson gets trumpeted probably more than the Stanley and, and Jack Kirby run.
1: Yeah. Which says a lot. Yeah. I, w- I, w- I would say that, you know, we said, we talked about that maybe one day the Jason Aaron run will be considered that. But again, we don't know exactly where it's going. And, you know, maybe it will be. And there there have been interesting runs in the characters' history, Stan and Jack, obviously, you know, Matt Fraction or DeFalco and Friends and Roy Thomas. But mm-hmm. I, I think each of those runs have some fans but also have some detractors. Yeah, And I think what makes the Simonson run stand out is that it's a much more overwhelmingly positive reaction, you know people's opinions are of it you know it might be simonson i you know someone might say i really like simonson and stan and jack or i like simonson and matt fraction or i like the simonson run and the jason and Aaron in it. it it is always listed near the top of the runs i'm, I'm sure there's some detractors but i believe they're few and far between yeah i think this is overwhelmingly and consistently viewed as one of Mar- marvel's best runs ever much less you know a run on thor
0: yeah, I mean, I've probably had more conversation about Thor on this podcast than off. But <laughs> when I was asking people, you know, first getting back into comics, what, where should I start? What should I read to read these characters? And the general reaction to mentioning Walt Simonson's Thor is, yes, read that if you have any interest in <laughs> Thor. Or that's on my to-read pile. I haven't gotten to right. it yet. <laughs> Whereas there's others, I mean, I I enjoyed the GMS run as a GMS fan, but again, anything by GMS, it's easy to find detractors as well. Right. Right. I mean, his run was largely good, but it was a bit rushed in the end, I found.
1: Right. And for for context, I mentioned I'm reading this from the Thor Visionaries uh, collection, and my impression is that Marvel has been pretty cautious about granting creators that visionary tag. Mm Mm-hmm. Very few have had that label you know given to them that are going to be argued really don't deserve it maybe McFarland might be the weakest or Jim Lee there's a visionary collection but generally speaking, a few exceptions but generally speaking that visionary series I think so far has been reserved for folks who really deserve it and I think Simonson really deserves it
0: yeah and that's how my collection of Simonson's Thor is a combination uh, when I started picking them up, Marvel had actually put the Visionaries volumes out of production. So it's about half Visionaries, half back issues. The reason it was out of production is because they had worked with their print publishing house, so the ones that actually physically put the books together, to figure out a way to actually put Walt Simonson's Thor in an omnibus. Right. It was the largest omnibus to date, and they had to work Mm, with the publisher to figure out, how do we get that many pages in one of these books? Because this deserves the omnibus treatment. So I, I bought it in that window in between. But that is that is a massive omnibus. I can imagine. Yeah, If you're in the UK, you might hear it take out multiple vagrants at once.
1: <laughs> you know, we, we mentioned uh, previously, I think, in terms of Simonson's art on that prior episode, that to me, the one of the strengths of his art is perspective, that mm-hmm. particular aspect of drawing. And it's, to, to some extent, what's happening on that cover. -hmm. Where he's you know breaking through, but I think there are a couple of great scenes of perspective. Again, a scene of Thor early on flying at an angle, and those scenes to me are always good. The body seems to be in proportioned. In this case, it's got the big rocket ship behind it that is just seems to be appropriately sized, and I think that's a a real sort of that drafting skill. You know, comic book art is both the panel layout and the you know, the storytelling aspect, but then also the creation of the individual panels. And certainly I think those individual panels, the, the actual figure of the draftman skill is one of Simonson's great strengths. He also, you mentioned that Loki, a couple of pages featuring Loki. And when when Loki first appears, it is such a Bushima slouch position that he is in, that classic, you know, slouching his, his, his way into the into the throne. That may have been a nice homage or a, a a reference, at least. And then the introduction of Beta Ray Bill is is terrific. Again, just the the angle that he's at, the the positioning of of the body. It just doesn't seem to be much wonky anatomy when you look yeah. at through Simonson's art, which is obviously something that you can pretty common that you can pull out from a lot of other comic book artists that might have other aspects that are strong. Yeah, but to me that. That figure drawing, the anatomy, the basics of the art are really strong with Simonson.
0: Yeah, which is actually very impressive considering how stylized his art is. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of times when you get stylized, by stylized I mean it is uniquely Simonson. You look at something <laughs> Walt Simonson has drawn, you know it's drawn by Walt Simonson. You go to your comic shop, you can spot a Simonson cover from the other side <laughs> of the room and know it's Simonson. Typically when you get something that stylized, it's also fiddling with anatomy. Like your Umberto Ramos. Right. Or your Scotty Youngs. You know, they've got very stylized, very unique art, very good art, generally speaking. I mean, it's, I prefer more realistic art, but that's not saying that they shouldn't be doing art the way they're doing it. They deserve the, the large mm-hmm. and established fan bases they have. There's no question about that. But part of that style is exaggerating. Right. Some of the anatomy.
1: I'm a big fan of Jack Kirby's art and certainly, you know, that is part of. Part of Kirby's style is that, you know, blockiness of the bodies mm-hmm. and the fingers. They know th- those sorts of moments of unreality. And Simonson, is, as he said, does seem to avoid that, but yet manages to make identifiable and unique, high-quality
0: art. Mm-hmm. It's, I also love his shading, particularly in the briefing scene, right? Just uh, the amount of shadow on Thor's face mm-hmm. when he's decided, okay, I, you're right. This is something that needs to be dealt with. I will go get to it. Right. So it, I, I quite like this. And also from what I recall, this is sort of where Thor's relationship with Nick Fury kicks in. And we do see quite a bit of that coming up. There's, yeah, I am again, honestly surprised we didn't see at least the next couple of issues included because there's some big changes for Thor coming as a direct result of this moment. So I don't remember where you can cleanly break it, but the fallout. Yeah. I think that, that might be part
1: of the issue. Yeah.
0: This leads into a change in Thor's secret identity into a surprise cameo by a character we've mentioned earlier, and his then workmate, now not wife, previously former wife, but neither of them remember being married because it didn't happen in this continuity.
1: Spoilers
0: <laughs> Yeah, the spoilers from like three years ago. <laughs> or four by the time this gets released. Let's <laughs> see. <laughs>
1: And, and you know, uh, you know here, uh, you know Simonson plays with one of the classic Marvel tropes that two characters meet, fight, fight, fight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but it sort of works here because you know Bill has, because Bill is such an honorable character, and I think maybe that's what is so appealing to him over the years, you know, over these thirty years and hundred and fifty appearances. You know, Bill, I mean, he has just, he has right on his side. He's as convinced of his righteousness that he's not the enemy. <laughs> That Thor's the enemy. He's the good guy, mm-hmm. as Thor is. And I you know, I love stories where it's not just the opponents both believe that they're right. Even the bad guy believes he's right. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is. This is both guys are right. Oh, yeah. You know, both guys are just, and they are responding in the honorable, correct, you know, protect my people and protect my priorities way.
0: Oh, yeah. This is and, not uh, a Reed Richards versus Victor Von Doom situation at all. Exactly.
1: Hey. I see what you did there. <laughs> you know, if Doom wanted to pick up the hammer, he probably could. He's just chosen
0: not to. <laughs> okay, you, you did read The Prelude to Civil War, right?
1: Minor technicality. <laughs> you know, but I just love but cuz, you know, the the Thor character is so based on this sort of almost old-fashioned sense of honor and loyalty and all of that. And to really have mm-hmm. an equal on power and on that sense of again, honor is just the word that keeps coming back to me in terms of of a character, in terms of a foil, is a really interesting choice. You know, it's hard to it's part of the perhaps part of the Superman problem. You know, it's hard when you have such an overpowered character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to come up with an appropriate either opponent or or teammate. You know, who is of the same power level. And I like that they've done that here with Beta Ray Bill. And it's not a villain. Well, I guess we don't know that just yet.
0: Well, it's strongly implied as soon as he wields the hammer.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Yeah, that's got to be a shocking moment. It's hard for me now because by the time I learned about Beta Ray Bill, I knew him as the guy who had Thor's hammer. Right. Right. The worthy alien, the one who could have been Thor and was for a time. Reading this when it first came out, this, as I said, is like a phoenix level of evil. That's the other time something fueled itself off of a star. In Marvel history, and Dark Phoenix was considered very evil up to this point. And this thing is barreling towards Earth. It's you know we're expecting it to just tear through us without a second thought. To the point that Shield has drafted Thor to send him out against this. So Thor comes in beats the automated defenses. The passenger wakes up and attacks in self-defense, but still attacks. And then in the course of the
1: fight, so far, so up, so up to that point, it's sort of filled a standard comic book story major event template.
0: Oh yeah, this he could have just as easily been the doomsday that showed up in Death of Superman.
1: Right, right. It's a standard story up until that point.
0: Yeah. And then he picks up the hammer. And the reader's going, Wait, what? He's worthy. What just happened? Well who is this guy and what's going on? So that's really what we have in terms of the plot and the continuity significance. We've alluded to the personal stories that, you know, we've covered again in more detail when we discussed three sixty two. But mm-hmm. this is one that was being read at least after the fact for me. I don't remember if you were just rereading it after the fact or if you read it in the first run.
1: I, I'm i pretty sure I collected Thor into the start of this run. I, I remember when, when we did 362, looking through Mike's Amazing World and, and other you no know, cover collections, I think I had stopped shortly before that, somewhere 350-ish. So this would have been in that original run, although the details of it had been lost to time in the 30 years since. But at, at at one point at this time in the late seventies, in, into the eighties, I had a probably a good ten year run on Thor. I actually quite enjoyed some of the some of the stuff before this, some towards the end of the Roy Thomas run, even around the late two hundred nineties, three hundreds, into the three tens.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's I've heard great things about what Thor became after those issues that didn't hold my attention long enough to keep going.
1: <laughs> Isn't that what comic books is are, are though in in many cases? Frequently, yes. I think that's part of what keeps us coming back to the ongoing soap opera is the hope that tomorrow or for us next month or the month after, it's going to get better. It's going to get better.
0: Yeah, often, sometimes, well, it's uh, <laughs> off topic, but, but let me just say we probably know one way or the other by the time this comes out. I'd have to check the exact release date. <laughs> but Charles Sewell has some massive shoes to fill on Daredevil mm-hmm. following Mark Wade. Uh-huh. but so in terms of the the impact this has had on the industry i think this is the first time that well it's the thir- first time that thor's mantle was passed on uh-huh. it's the second time marvel had a true torch passing legacy hero i mean aside from the torch pun we had right <laughs> you know the silver age human torch was a legacy hero compared to the original human torch but If you read Fantastic Four, number one in those first few issues, there's no indication that they and Jim Hammond exist in the same universe, not until Captain America and Submariner show up, right? That was more of an afterthought. It was a reconception rather than a deliberate passing. Uh, I think the first time that happened would have been the Scott Lang Ant-Man, which would have been just a few years before this and didn't get nearly as much traction. Right. Although, clearly, Scott Lang made it to the movies faster than Beta Ray Bill. (laughs) I think that's really what this is. Marvel has a pretty short list of legacy heroes. Right. And there are, I think this is probably the first example of a mantle passing to a legacy hero when the original character is still selling well. Mm. The other examples I could think of your Ant-Man, Scott Lang came out because Hank Pym wasn't able to carry a solo uh, solo title. Right. If the Jim Hammond Human Torch was still in publication, he could very well have been (laughs) in the Fantastic Four or at least Johnny Storm would have had different powers. (laughs) This is the first case where they passed the mantle not because something needed to be quote unquote fixed with the original, but just because that's where the story went. Right. It's the the first time I think it was a one hundred percent art based decision.
1: <laughs> Interesting. No, and then in, in terms of you no know, comics industry or, or, or Marvel Comics in general, obviously it's not it's not Simonson's first work by any means, but certainly I think this issue in this run certainly announced him as a serious top level writer slash artist. And the nineties are littered with artists who took a shot at writing, only to find out that writing is really, really hard. Sorry. Good writing is really, really hard. And those skill sets don't automatically go together. As you know, as 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 much as storytelling is a part of good comic book art, being able to then script is a totally different skill set. But the ones that did it really well I think are legitimately thought of very highly. And certainly, again, Walt Simonson is in that pretty elite group of folks who brought, I think, an equal skill with the scripting, the storytelling, and just the the quality of the art itself.
0: Yeah, he is one of the few that can do it all bumper to bumper. And Mm -hmm. from this era in the mid-80s, or early 80s, I should say, I think Simonson and Byrne are the only two I can come up with Mm -hmm. that were doing that really well. Mm -hmm. Starenko should be added to that list.
1: I, I always have to mention on the DC side, one of my favorites is Mike Grell was doing this with, with Warlord and then as as well with independent work, John Sable and, 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 and others. But I, I do recognize that he is not listed in that, in that top layer for most people. And even to some extent you could put Jack Kirby, but he's an A plus artist and maybe a B writer a <laughs> scripter. Yeah. He's I've... the, he, he, he is the concept guy. You know, Kirby, he's the big picture concept guy, not always the details of
0: scripting guy. Yeah, he he's a competent scripter, mm-hmm. but he's a significantly better than competent artist. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say up to this point, at least looking at the big two, sure. those who can excel in both scripting right. and writing or and art, we're what? Count them on one hand at this point? Exactly. 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 So, yeah, it's a very short list. And I think just looking at the publication schedules, this is probably the first time that people had a a chance to see Simonson's work in the mainstream on both ends. Right. So it wouldn't have been... I mean, Byrne is rightly held up for doing a fantastic run on the Fantastic Four as both scripter and artist. You know, similar for his short but quality Incredible Hulk run. Mm -hmm. He, you know, this was his heyday, but people would have known him primarily as an artist prior to that. When you look at what he did with Iron Fist with Uncanny X-Men, they were art chores with plot assists. So mm-hmm. he would figure out how to elevate a script, but he wasn't in charge of the final draft of the script. You know, he could right. take a script and go, "You know, I think it would be better if we tweaked it this way." <laughs> and at least at that period of his career, he was almost always right when he had that thought. So, but I think there's a reason that Spider-Man chapter 1 did not make the list. <laughs>
1: You can't hit the home runs every time.
0: No. And frankly, he could have retired before even starting Chapter 1 and still been heralded (laughs) as one of the greats. Because the contributions (laughs) he made before that were that good. But yeah, I think that is largely the impact it had on the industry. Mm -hmm. We're talking two or three years prior to Crisis on Infinite Earths. We've got a run on Thor that proves, yes, you can pass a mantle and do it well, even when the first guy's selling. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if the success of this storyline with Beta Ray Bill taking on the mantle is part of what gave DC the confidence to put Wally West in the Flash suit. Right. Could be.
1: Right. You had to see a torch passing that worked, like you said, among a popular character, a well-selling character, and that the fans did not revolt over. Though, to be fair, they didn't have the internet back then.
0: Yeah, I, I suspect there was some <laughs> degree of revolt, especially given it, it took Wally West a while to figure out how to it be... Did. an effective hero. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, there were some good comics, but I understand why people would be reading those going, I want Barry back. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And then they got him back and went, man, did you have to do it like that?
1: Fans are hard to please. We are hard to please.
0: (sighs) Yep. This is definitely true. So to move on to the portion of the podcast that I have shamelessly stolen from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, which everyone should be listening to. They're doing great work. We are looking at these stories to see if they've got any messages, morals, and meanings, and if there's you know anything that they are trying to teach us. And there's some... I see the setup for a message, but the message and the moral itself, I don't know if it would come in this issue or a following one. What's that? What are you thinking? I'm thinking a little bit of look before you leap. Thor went (laughs) in and started attacking this guy, but when we see that Beta Ray Bill can wield the hammer, that gives us an indication that, okay, he is worthy. (laughs) maybe they could have talked this out and he just said, hey, what are you doing? You know, had we learned about Beta Ray Bill's mission, which we don't in this issue, but we will learn that, yeah, he does have a noble mission, right? Had Thor been in his place, he'd have been on the same mission. There's no question in my mind about that.
1: Mm -hmm. And again, with that same sense of right and honor and responsibility to carry it out.
0: Yeah have they started that conversation and then Thor said, "Oh, by the way, <laughs> there's a populated planet right there. Can you not do anything to it?" beta Ray Bill would have said, "Sure." And kept right on trucking.
1: <laughs> you know, early early on in the issue we mentioned that Dr. Blake does kick around in his mind the these burdens of responsibility, power and responsibility. So to some extent, as you could say that that's addressed. And in and 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 maybe what is honor? What is worthy? And and does as, as you're saying does one's perspective change, or is, is one's per, is is one's perspective important in determining what exactly honor and worth mean? Yeah, you can't always know that at first, which does maybe fit into that look before you leap idea.
0: But did you see anything else that's brought up here? Or?
1: Mostly not, just a punch, 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 and more punching. Not in a bad way. That is a lot of what the issue was, and for a change. It was a pretty fair fight. You don't always get that with Thor.
0: No, as you said, he's got that Superman problem. <laughs> where, you know, how do you come up with a, a reasonable foe for him? And mm-hmm. it's I, we, I can actually see this run having an influence on the Death and Return of Superman story arc, especially the death of story arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, Beta Ray Bill is introduced in largely the same way that Doomsday is. Right, right? he seems to be this unstoppable force of immense power that we know nothing about. Right, Beta Ray Bill takes a left turn after that, but this keeps building to Ragnarok, and we get that fight against Surtur with the full page splash, which is actually the stated inspiration for the full page splash in the final Superman versus Doomsday when they do that fight in '75. Right. Yeah, I think it was Dan Jurgens was the writer artist on that, if memory serves. I may be mistaken (laughs) about the individual, but I do remember reading in the text they flat out said, "No, it's the the Thor." (laughs) That fight against Surtur and Simonson's Thor is what inspired us to do this issue this way. Right. So, I mean, when it comes to why this particular issue landed at this point in the rankings, it is a great issue. It deserves to be high on the list. I just don't know if it deserves to be here on its own. Right. Or as part of a larger set. I mean, even if they... There's several volumes of Thor Visionaries by Walt Simonson, and those are of a fairly variable length, and that's because, mm-hmm. as we've said, the way Simonson structured his run, you didn't get a lot of clean jumping off points to say this right. story's done. The next story starts next month. So those are the best breaks they've got. And I would say that this is here because it had a big impact on continuity, especially for Thor from this point forward. It had a clear influence on the industry, and it's really entertaining.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've you know in 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 listening to prior episodes of the podcast when we were up, up further up the countdown, you often got stories where your conclusion was it's here for one of those two reasons. It's here because it's historic and maybe not the issue. The issue may not be all that great or it's just a great entertaining read, whether it has a historic legacy aspect or not. We would hope that from here forward, we start to get more of that blend, right? A historic important i mean this is historic because it's the start of this run inside the book it's doing things that had never been done before uh, with thor it's the introduction of a i would say beloved character and it's a really good story in and of itself
0: it is i mean it's, we talk about the three elements that can land things on the list this has two of them the <laughs> morals and meanings the look before you leap is there but it's not handled in depth it's not wrapped up in this issue and it's hardly a unique message so right. I would think it's the first two, the importance and the entertainment value. So did you have any final thoughts on this issue before we move on?
1: Well, as I said, the only thing, um, you know, getting back into this and, and reading this one said I'm not going to take this trade paperback and put it right back on the shelf. It's going to go in the to be read pile to read the rest of it and see what happens because it was really an entertaining read. And as you said, it did leave at a pretty dramatic point. So I want to f- find out what happens next. And that's 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 one of the strongest positive things you can say about an issue, right? I yeah. want to know what happens next.
0: I would agree. I would actually recommend reading the the Simonson Thor run from the pieces I've seen before. So the two issues that were pulled out in yes. isolation for this countdown are great, but read it all <laughs> because yeah, there's a lot here. Alright, So I'd like to thank Alan once again for coming on. You know, oh, you're
1: welcome. Thanks for having me, Blaine. Always always enjoy this.
0: Right, as do I. So uh, before we tell people what they can look forward to next week, would you mind reminding them where they can find your stuff?
1: Our uh, home on the internets is the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. We can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or on iTunes. And my solo show is the Quarter Bin Podcast. And I also do the joint show Shortbox Showcase with my 20-something daughter, Emily for a somewhat different perspective on life and comics.
0: Okay. All right. And for those of you who are reading along at home, speaking of comics that make the list for only one of the three reasons, next week we are dealing with Incredible Hulk 181, which has been reprinted in the 100 Greatest Marvels of All Time, number three, Best of Wolverine hardcover, Comixology, Essential Hulk volume five, Hulk Wolverine six hours, Incredible Hulk and Wolverine number one, King Size Hulk number one, Marvel Digital Unlimited, Marvel Milestone Edition Incredible Hulk 181, Wolverine and the X Men Magazine number one, Wolverine Battles the Incredible Hulk number one, Wolverine First Class the Rookie trade paperback, and X Men Firsts number one. So, in case you hadn't figured it out by now, Incredible Hulk 181 is the first significant appearance of Wolverine. So please feel free to share this show with your friends and rate it on iTunes and Stitcher along with anything else you listen to. It does help the podcast get noticed. And thank you for listening.